got to tell you, this past week was a uh, lesson in humility, uh, humiliation maybe is a better word for me. Uh, I went to, to give blood. It's not a big deal, right? Lots of people do this. It shouldn't be a big issue with the amount of folks I've had. It shouldn't be a thing. But I've never actually been able to give blood give blood before. I mean, you know, they took little tubes and stuff. But I was in the blood mobile years ago, and I tried to give blood, and it started to come up the tube, and then it just stopped. And my blood pressure just kind of dropped out of nothing. So like, whoa, whoa, that's not good. So, but again, I've been through a lot of stuff, so I thought, oh, I can do this. And so I went, and I sat down, and, and the ladies started talking about a, a finger prick. I thought, I didn't know there was supposed to be a, a finger prick thing. So she grabs my hand, oh, this won't hurt. I'm, so, and I, I'm, I'm, it's, all, it's all in your head, I know, but I, you know, what can you do? And so I'm seeing these other people in the far room giving the blood, and, the, the, and she's doing this to me, and all of a sudden, I start seeing little black dots. I'm going, oh, oh, I think I'm not doing real well. And so I had five nurses, and they're picking me up, putting me in a chair, and wheeling me over to the couch, and laying me down, and rags on my head, and they're all taking my blood pressure, and calling the doctor, and getting me another Coke, and, jeez. Oh, uh, so I, 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 I decided to... Uh, uh, just milk this thing. Said, I think I need another Coke. And uh, <laughs> can I have another little Debbie thing? And that would be fine. Can we turn up the middle show a little bit, a little bit louder, please? I, anyway, so what do you what do you, what do you do? I'm just I'm just a, a wimp, and I, I'm gonna get this though. I'm gonna go back sometime and try it, and uh, sooner or later, sooner or later. Well, oh, maybe we'll see. Now, now you 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 say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, this is this. There's actually a method to that. Um, some things are hard to do; they're just hard to do. Now, uh, some things are are hard to do in life, like like calculus. Now, I, maybe that's not hard for you, but um, and again, that's I'm being too generous to myself. You know, trigonometry or geometry or algebra two or algebra one or basic math. Some some things are just hard; they're complex. Your mind can't get it. Ugh. But other things are hard. Like, uh, Susie doesn't want to be your friend anymore. And, or, uh, Billy wants to break up with you. Or they just, and it's, it's, unless you're an egomaniac, you, it's not that you don't understand the, the, the issue. It's just hard internally. Now, Jesus, he spoke some parables, very famous parables. He spoke some not as famous, but in the context this morning we're going to be looking at, of one of his hard sayings. You know, there's a, actually an official list out there of the hard sayings of Jesus. And this is one of them, where it's perhaps hard to understand because it's complex, but maybe even more so, it's hard to understand because of the emotional side of it. Jesus, you've got to love this. He does not beat around the bush. He's not just interested in roses and rainbows. and He just tells it as it is. And so uh, the text we're looking at this morning, Luke chapter 14. If you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 14? Uh, real important. Uh, let me give you the background for this. By the way, if you didn't bring your Bible, Pew Bible in front of you, I think it's page 1,112. You can grab that. But... but Jesus, in chapter 9 of Luke, starts this uh, uh, tour. He's going to go on tour, or speaking tour. And he goes going through all these little villages and towns, and he's making his way to Jerusalem. And then at this point in Jesus' career, ministry, he, his popularity is, is, is maxed out. And, and you need to th- think about, I mean, just look at the first couple of words, large crowds. You need to think about this as... as um, uh, this is like Les Mis, okay? This is like the French Revolution. These, when Jesus came to earth, you had the bourgeois uh, spiritual leaders, the Sanhedrin and, and Pharisees, Sadducees. They looked down on the masses. 
And, and the masses were, 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 were the peasants. It just, the vast majority of the nation, this is what they were, barely could eat day to day. That's what they, and then you had these spiritual elite that looked down on them. And then you had Rome that kind of oppressed them. But Jesus comes on the scene. And, and Jesus reaches out to the spiritual elite, but they re- reject him. Jesus, with the masses though, he's, he's giving them hope and dignity. And worth something that nobody has done before. And not only that, he's working among them miracle after miracle. He's, he's, he's feeding them. He's taking their, their, their sick and healing them. He's raising them from the dead for crying out loud. And so the, these masses are thinking, this is it. This is the Messiah, obviously. And so Jesus is going to Jerusalem and they know he's going to Jerusalem to get, to pronounce himself king and to, it's gonna, this is it. And so these masses are following him. Some commentators say at this point up to tens of thousands. So we're not talking, you know, 15 people. This is a huge, huge crowd that's following Jesus. And so Jesus turns to this crowd and he says this. He says, uh, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yea, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then this is verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So this is whole teaching here. He's going to have a couple of parables stuck in the middle. We'll get to those. It's about disciples, right? That's, that's what this is about. Now, what is a disciple? Let's just, just stop on that for a second. Because the word is easy enough. It means to follow, to be a student, to learn. Now, sometimes it's confusing, so let me just put this out. When you read the New Testament, sometimes you come to the apostles, and sometimes you come to disciples. And sometimes we can get these confused. It's not too, too confusing, though. The apostles basically were 12 guys that Jesus handpicked to follow him. Now, there are a couple other people in the New Testament who get that title, but for the most part, the apostles were those 12 guys. And when they died, they were, they're no more. There's no apostles today. The office is shut. It's done. They're, they're finished. Now, disciples are just those people who follow Jesus. That's, again, that's all the word means. So the apostles were disciples as well. So sometimes those will be used interchangeably. But not all disciples were followers of Jesus. Now, in this time, the rabbis would distinguish themselves by their disciples. You would apply to a rabbi school person. You want him to mentor you. And so he'll, I don't know if he fills out the application, goes through checks of references, whatever. But he would pick, not a lot, four or five people to be his disciples. And so in the rabbi, you would see him walking through Jerusalem especially, and these people are, are following him. These were his disciples. You've got Jesus coming on the scene, walking with stadiums of people following him. So it's really kind of a sharp contrast as well. You need to know, too, when you read in the book of Acts and you come across the word disciple, book of Acts, disciple is synonymous for Christian, Christ follower, believer, strong, solid guy. That's that's. Disciple in the book of Acts. In the Gospels, not so much yet. We're still in transition. And so you got large crowds following Jesus. And some of them were like apostle-type people. They were committed. They were there. They were in. Some of them just wanted a miracle. They just wanted another meal. Some of them just wanted to see, see, see him raise somebody else from the dead or do something marvelous. Some of them were skeptics 
tells us that they were following him. They were one of his disciples, but they didn't really believe. They were just looking to try to trip him up. And so this crowd of people that are following Jesus are, are all kinds of levels of spiritual interest or intensity in this. It's a good distinction in our mind. So you've got these guys that are following Christ. They're, 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 following, they're following him at the pinnacle of his popularity. They're following him because uh, uh, miracles are happening and because people are being raised from the dead and because the rivers of wine and fish and manna just keep flowing and flowing and flowing. And so it's, it's a cool thing to follow Jesus. These guys are following Jesus. But Jesus knows they're following me and they know I'm going to Jerusalem. To, but what they don't know it's the crown I'm going to get in Jerusalem. It's a crown of thorns. And, and this is a real important principle in this text. Before the, the crown, because they want to get this gold crown, before the crown comes a cross. That's a huge principle for Jesus and his ministry, for you and I. We want the, 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 the crown, but before you get the crown, you get the cross. And Jesus is probably wondering, what are these guys going to think? They're all following me, tens of thousands. They're following me. When my path leads to Golgotha, what are they going to do? And what are they going to say? And what are they going to think? Now, a lot of times we, people follow Jesus, but they don't understand where he's going. They think they know where he's going. They think that, oh, it's the, the, the rivers of wine and bread and, and plenty and, and comfort and, and convenience. And he's my bodyguard. And they, if you're relationship with Jesus is, is on the level of him being your grocer or miracle worker or healer or guide or genie or insurance policy or uh, Santa Claus, then you're going you're gonna to come to some real struggles when that path gets up, starts going up to Golgotha. You're going to be going, whoa, 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 what, what is going on here? I was in high school, a kid a couple years older than me, Preston was his name. And Preston was not a, a dorky sort of guy. He was an athlete. He held a handful of the records that we had in, for track in our school. He was very popular. Uh, Preston was also uh, very outspoken for his faith. I mean, he had no problem telling people about Christ, letting people know where he stood, on and on and on. Uh, after high school, uh, there was a tragedy hit Preston's family, and he did a about face. And I remember, I think it was our senior pastor who was talking to him one time. And uh, Preston said to him, listen, I'm not going to give Jesus Christ five more minutes of my life. And got in his car to go home. On his way home, he was killed in the car accident. Wouldn't you like your last words to be, I'm not going to give Jesus Christ five more minutes of my life. When you think you know where he's going and you think you know how he's supposed to act, and of course he's going to act this way. If he doesn't act that way, it can really throw you, can really derail everything which you're about and really cause you to question. So Jesus here turns to these guys. And Jesus is not shy about about telling them what the the ramifications are, what's going on. So let's look at our, our text again. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In the same way, those of you who don't give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Now you need to know as we look at this text that in the history of the church, some people have looked at this text, medieval Roman Catholic church, and they said, these things don't apply to us, don't worry about it. These things apply to people who are 
interested in monastic orders. There have been a good number of Protestants who have said, uh, this doesn't really apply to the rank-and-file Christian. See, if you're a good Christian, then that's cool. But if you really want to up your game, see, if you really want to take it to the next level, if you want to be like a really good Christian, then you, then you become a disciple. And that's what, that's what this is about. But for the rest of us, this is not, this is not, this is not. Well, you need to know that that's nowhere, that, that understanding is not found in Scripture anywhere. There are not two kinds of Christians. There, there's one category. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, he talks about that there are two um, ways. Just two, not three. There's the broad way. Many there are on it that's, that's going to destruction. And then there's the narrow way. Few there are that find it. He says there are two kinds of trees. Only two, not three kinds of trees. There's one that has bad fruit. There's one that has good fruit. He says there's two builders. Only two. The guy that's building on the sand and the, the, the wise man who's building his house on the rock. Matthew 25. He says at the end of the time, he's going to divide all the people into only two categories. Uh, the goats and, and the, the sheep. There's only two categories, and these qualifications, these pertain to everybody. It's interesting who he's talking to. Look, he says this to who? Does he talk to his, just his apostles? Okay, guys, you need to take it up a level. No, he's talking to the masses. Some of these guys who aren't even believers, to these crowds, he said. He's making, this is important, he is making an a invitation to salvation. An invitation to real discipleship. He says, some of you guys are, are walking and you think you're following me. But you may be following me physically. You think you, you are. But there, there are two elements important for us. There are two elements to salvation. First of all, there is the uh, objective truth, propositions, truth propositions. And that's the stuff you need to know, basically. And it's just a handful of things you have to know. You need to know that there is a God. He's a, we can have a personal relationship with him. He's not just like the Star Wars force kind of thing. We have a personal relationship with this God. Matter of fact, we were designed to do that. But our sin, mine, yours, everybody, kicked in and all of us. We're born separated from him. That's why he sent Jesus, who was eternal God, who died on the Roman cross in my place because I was supposed to die. He became hell for me and he became hell for you. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He's coming back. When you got those facts put together in a story, that's called the gospel. And you can't add to that. We can't take away from that. That's what it is. You have to know, you have to understand those, those propositions. But I think you would agree with me that salvation is not just about signing on that doctrinal statement. Yeah, got it. Believe that. Because I'm, I'm assuming that Satan believes that, right? I mean, he, Satan probably knows it better than you and I do. There's no doubts in Satan's mind that Jesus uh, really is God, that Jesus really did die, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Satan's probably very clear on those matters. But uh, he's not a disciple. And so you have to know the propositional truths, the objective facts. But you also, this, what this passage is about, this passage won't deal with those. You also have to have a, a subjective uh, heart a subjective attitude, a spirit inside of discipleship. And, and, and there's a lot of folk who, who are over here and they're thinking that they're their disciple. They've got it going. It's, it's okay. And Jesus, these guys, and Jesus stops and turns around to these guys and says, unless you've got this right spirit, this right attitude, it's just, it's just not happening. You're losing it. And so what does this attitude look like? Well, he says this, this hate your family. Hate your spouse. Hate your kids. Hate, you're going, whoa. Now, you might say, well, it's not a big deal. I hate my family anyway. But that, that's, it's, that's, what he's referring to is, is 
all relationships, the most important relationships, of course, all lesser relationships, your friends, are part of this, what he's inferring as well. Uh, but he didn't, God say, you know, husbands love your wives, didn't he say that? Doesn't scripture say, children, obey and honor your parents? Isn't love part of that? And it is. Doesn't uh, uh, Jesus let us know that we're supposed to love our enemies? How much more so people that, that love us? And we, yeah, yeah, he does. And so to understand what he means by this hate thing, let's think for just a second about family and first century Judaism. You cannot overemphasize the significance there. You were, you were only somebody based on who your daddy was, anyway, your, your bloodline. And so there was not a lot of nuclear families. Everything was, it was mostly, mostly extended families. So you lived with, with grandma and grandpa and great grandma and grandpa and all your siblings and their, their wives and their kids. So it was, it was a, you were there, that was your protection. That was your security. Your, your family was, was your, where your relational needs were met. It's where you loved and were loved. It's where your economic needs were met. It's where your emotional needs were met. It was, it was your gang. It was your team. It was everything. It was your identity. It's who you were. And so uh, you knew your place in the family because, you know, the way the family worked is the patriarch kind of called the shots. And so it was not all about me. My, my life was a puzzle piece in something much grander than me, the family. It was all about the family. Again, you can't overemphasize Jewish family. So Jesus comes at the most important thing to them. And he says, compared to your family, you got to, compared to your love to me, you got to hate them. So, I mean, it's like, this would catch them in their tracks a little bit. Now, as we think again about this word hate, you've got to keep in mind that you can't go to a Merriam-Webster's to, to try to figure out what hate means. Because if you do, you're going to find it's a, a hostile or a violent aversion to somebody. You know, it's like bent on their destruction kind of thing. But the New Testament wasn't originally written in English. It was written in Greek with a Hebrew slant. So you've got to check out what the word means there. And if you do you'll find out that hate dealt with comparison. It dealt with prominence. Let me give you an example. Malachi well, 1. God's talking. Malachi chapter 1. And God's talking to his people, Israel. And he says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? You know, they're doubting God's love. And he says, was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. God says this, hated. Now, now, think about what you know about Esau before you, you Esau had a lot of gifts. I mean, if God wanted to hurt Esau, you know what? God could have done that. But Esau was an outdoorsman. Esau was, was a great warrior person with the arrow. Who do you think made him a manly man? I think God did. And when you follow Esau's life, when he comes up with Jacob later on in life, he's got all kinds of wealth. And he's got flocks and herds and servants and he's got money. God blessed him incredibly. What do you mean? God hated him. God gave him all kinds of stuff. What this means is, and this is why God's making this argument, is when, when God saw the two brothers, he saw Esau, he saw Jacob, and God was to choose which one the Messiah was going to come through, he chose Jacob, not Esau. Couldn't choose them both. And you might say, well, well Why? Well, the Jews could get in a mindset of thinking, well, it's obviously because we're better. And so Deuteronomy, right away, Moses says, it's not, don't say it's because I'm better. 
You were the fewest of people. And he, he, he says it real clear. There's nothing in your quality or quantity that made God want to choose you. Romans 9, 10, and 11 says straight out, only because God chose. That's all. That's the only reason. So, so that's what it means to love and hate. One has, has prominence in choice. We see this in Genesis 29. This is a cool text. Jacob made love to Rachel. You don't read that too much in church too often, do you? Made love to Rachel also. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Now, you know the story here, right? Jacob is running. Actually, he's running from, from Esau. He's on the run. And he comes to this area. And, and he sees Rachel. Now, Rachel's gorgeous, according to the Bible. Physically, she's, she's a knockout. And so he... Even though she's a kid's sister, she's got an older sister, and according to Scripture, Leah is not a knockout at all. And so his attention is definitely to the younger sister, and so he talks to the dad and says, listen, I want to marry Rachel, how about it? And so Laban says, okay, we can pull this off, work seven years for me, and then she's yours. So he works seven years, they have the uh, wedding, they have the uh, uh, reception. During the reception, he probably, uh, Jacob drinks a little bit too much, he goes to his honeymoon tent, and when he wakes up in the morning, he's lying next to Leah. He's going, ah! What happened here? Oh, so he runs to Laban. What are you doing to me? And Laban says, yeah, sorry, I forgot to tell you about what itty bitty a cultural thing we've got. See, the, the kid sister can't get married till the older one gets married first. And so, sorry, you got Leah. And so he says, what, what am I going to do? He says, well, finish this honeymoon week with Leah. Then I'll give you Rachel and work seven more years and you get her. I said, okay, it's a deal. So Jacob's got two wives, right? Uh, Leah and, and, and Rachel. But when it says here, that his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Actually, what it says in the Hebrew is he loved Rachel, but he hated Leah. That's exact wording. Same wording as elsewhere. Now, think about how he treated Leah. Did he hit her? No. Was he kind to her? Yes, it seems like he was. He protected her. He supplied for her. He, he fathered her children. I, did he care for her? I, yes, he did. But inside his heart, where was his heart? It was Rachel. She was his favorite. What Jesus is saying here is he's looking at these guys who are following him. And he says, I cannot be your Leah. I think some of y'all have, have me alongside and you got your life going on and that's nice and I'm just part of it. But you need to know to be my disciple, I've got to be Rachel. Jesus says, at this point in your life, you've got your family stuff and your family relationship structures, very important, and you've got yourself, and then you've got your stuff. But when you become my disciple, just so you understand what happens, is your love for me surpasses all of those. And now, in all your dealings with your family, with your, with your stuff, with yourself, it's filtered through your allegiance to me, top loyalty to me. Let me just ask you. Your relationship with Christ. Is it possible? Is it just possible? You're following after him. You go to church, all these things. Is it just possible? He's Leah in your life. He's not Rachel. Not, he's, not, he's not top. He's not, I mean, he's there. He's important and all, but it's not, not the, the, the top thing. That's what he's getting at. That's what Jesus is saying to them. When Jesus says, I can't. I can't be your, your Leah. It's, it's a requirement that I'm, I'm your Rachel. I think that's why he says this in Matthew 10. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. 
I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You say, why does he, why does he say it like this? Because of this. Because if, if you have competing loves... Sooner or later, they're going to lock horns. They're going to bump. And when your love for Leah and love for Rachel bump, guess who you're going to go for? You're always going to choose the Rachel. That's why he says you can't have two masters. No one can love God and money. You, you can't. One has to be above. And so he said, There was a uh, while past uh, church I was at, a, a lawyer was coming to church, and he was not a... I don't believe he'd ever surrendered his life to Christ, but he was coming. He was intrigued. God had been doing something in his heart. So he's checking it out, thinking about it. And then um, he was in a law firm with his father and his grandfather, a family law firm. His father and grandfather pulled him aside and said, whoa, 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 what are you doing? He says, well, I'm going to that church. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. This is the church we go to. This is the church where all of our contacts are with. This is the church that, that has built our reputation. And you need to know we're not going to have someone in our law firm, I don't care how much blood you have in you, that is, is a Bible thumper, that is, is, is turned his back on the church. And so you just need to decide right now, are you going to that church? Or are you going to be part of our law firm? What are you going to do? And the uh, man said, okay, I'm, I'm with the law firm. I'm in, I'll, go, I'll keep going. Over here, I'll keep doing this thing spiritually. That's what Jesus is talking about. You know, he's not saying, it's just important we know, he's not saying, um, hate, English term, your parents. Go home and punch on them and go home and just blow them all off and forget their counsel and, and trash them and have nothing to do with them. He's not saying that at all. We're commanded to love them. This is the goofy thing with this. I think that when you have Jesus first, then you know what? You're a better parent. And you're a better spouse, and you're a better kid, and you're a better sibling, and you're a better friend. Why? Because it's not all about you anymore. That's, it's all about him. And as, as he increases and we decrease, you're able to love the person the way Jesus loves you. You're able to love the person more fully, more completely. And they're going to respond to that. But at times, if you have, uh, there may be a time. When what they would ask you to do, what they would expect you to do, what they would want you to do is different than what God has called us to in his word. And he says, when that time comes up, I need to know. I need to know where your allegiance, where your allegiance is. Um, Jesus is uh, saying ultimately this. Don't make your life the end and me the means. Make my glory the end. And your life is just a means to it. My goodness, years ago, I had a kid in youth group. I'm going to call her, call her Janet. But three girls in that family. Her two older sisters. Actually, she's got a younger sister and older sister. Both on the mission field today. Great. But Janet was cut out of a different cloth, man. Neat kid, came to youth group, sweet, love this girl. She came with us on a Mylon Lefevre and Whiteheart concert. I don't know if you remember these. It's a Christian rock band from ages ago. And uh, she, she went to this thing, and it was actually a moving concert. It was a great concert. And she, so she bought this T-shirt um, real big on the front, love God on the back, real big, hate sin. It's just, just really bold. It was right there. 
And she was there and she was excited about it. And then the, the next Monday, she put that thing on. She was going to wear it to school. And she started to go out the door and she started thinking, you know what? Maybe I better not wear this to school because it might, uh, some of my friends might not like it. So she went in, she changed, and she was going to go. And then she said, I've got to stand up for Christ. Come on, it's now or never. So she went back in, she put the shirt back on. And she said, you know what, maybe I should take this slower because, you know, they're going to, this could be offensive. And so she did this back until she was just about late for school. Finally, she put it on and she said, I'm just going. Uh, goes, her friends, no question, I'm serious. Her friends literally beat her up that day, pushed her down in the hall, and said to her, if you ever wear that shirt again, then you please sit at another table. You do you hang out with someone else. You are you are out. You're not. We're not with you if you ever wear that shirt again. And I wish I could tell you that she wore the shirt the next day, but I don't think she ever wore that shirt again. This is the kind of thing Jesus is saying: that your loyalty to me, your allegiance to me, has to be beyond. Has to be beyond when the, when the conflicts arise when they come up. Luke 13, 24. This is a cool, a cool verse. Jesus says, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, notice that many, circle the many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. And at first you look at that and you go, well, many are going to try to get into heaven and get into your kingdom and get into a relationship with you but won't be able to? What's that about? Well, you've got to ask, well, how are they trying? Well, they're trying by making Jesus Leah. They, they want Jesus in their life on one level. They're just not able to do all of this. This is just a bit extreme, don't you think? It's a bit radical. They're not going to go this way. So they're going to kind of make him, Jesus, a little more palatable. Make him just, just a Leah that they tag on. And they're going to try to get in that way. They think that's enough and that will work. But Jesus says, that's not going to work. That's why he says that in that day, that final judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, what happened? He's going to say, depart. I never knew you. Because he demands to be our Rachel and not, not, our, not our Leah. So he says, hate your parents compared to your love for me. Hate all relationships compared. No relationship should be greater than your relationship with me. Then he also says, take up your cross and follow me. If you don't take up your cross, you can't be my disciple. Now, what your cross isn't, this is important because you hear people say, Oh, those in-laws of mine, right? Oh, and I'm just telling you, I mean, everyone's got a cross to bear, right? Uh, or, uh, or you know, I've, I've, I've got that boss. What an idiot boss, you know, and he's just a jerk, and he doesn't trust me, he doesn't like me, and he's mean to me, blah, blah, blah. And, well, I guess everyone's got their cross to bear. Or, or you know, I've got a bad health thing, or I've got that, that kid that's way off in left field, right? and everyone's got their cross to bear. You just need to know that's not what Jesus is talking about. That those are things that are going to happen whether you're a Jesus follower or not. That's just regular life stuff. That is not the cross Jesus is talking about. These guys knew what it meant to carry your cross. They had seen it. And so the way the Roman crucifixion worked is you were stripped naked, but you were carrying the the, the cross beam, the the, uh, vertical beam to the cross, towards the place of crucifixion in Jerusalem with Ben Golgotha, where you would be uh, uh, executed. So they knew what this meant. It was a, a sign of public shame and execution. And Jesus says, listen, you guys, we're going to Jerusalem. And you need to know this is what I'm going to do. And if you're going to follow me, you know what? If, if I, it's master's not, student's not greater than his master. If this is where it's coming from me, guess it's, 
You just need to know. You need to be willing. Where they, how do you carry a cross? Well, look at, look at, I think it's Luke 9. Is that the next text? Then he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Well, the way you take up your cross daily is uh, just that. You, you take up your cross daily. But when you get up in, in the morning, you, you grab the cross. And it's so heavy, you know what? You can't hold on to other things. You're just, you're just hanging on the cross. And as you go through every step of the day, everything goes through, filters through that. You're not hanging on to anything else. And so if you lose it, you, you lose it. Maybe you'd rather not, but you're, you're hanging on to the cross. It means the very next day when you get up, you put on the cross again, and you're following him wherever he goes because you're carrying the cross. And it means the very next day you grab the cross and you're going again. And if that day just happens to, to bring you to Golgotha, then it does. Oh, well, no surprise. You've already determined. You, you understand what's going on. You're going to pay the price it's there. It means the very next day you put on that, that, that cross. It's a symbol of death to the, every, every earthly allegiance. Nothing is more important than the one who bore the cross for you. And you start walking every single day. You daily carry the cross. Jesus says, if you're not willing to do that, then just make sure you, you realize that's what's required to be my disciple. So Jesus was, was getting at. You know, it's interesting in the... Uh, 18, late, mid-18 to mid-1900s. Something called the Great Missionary Movement. Just tons of missionaries left England and Ireland, Scotland, the U.S. Uh, for the world. But the crazy thing with that is, is they did not buy a two-way ticket. They bought a one-way ticket. The assumption was, I'm going over to die. When someone asked Amy Carmichael, what's it like to be a missionary? It's a chance to die. We're not coming back, given, given it all. You know, in the 21st century, statisticians tell us that more Christian martyrs have come through in the 21st century than all the other centuries of church history combined. This is not a strange thing. And you know, as well as I do, that our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world face this and have faced this just recently. And so Jesus says, when that time comes, you need to know the most important thing is isn't preservation of my life. And while I have to live. No, you don't have to live. Your, your life, remember, it's not the, it's not the end and I'm, I'm the means. It's the other way around. And, and so you have to bring me glory. And if that's what it takes, if that's where it goes, you need to know that, that that's where I've been. That's where you may end up. So unless that's a mindset, it's, it's not, not, not an option. It's not a possibility. Then he gives us a couple of parables. He says, uh, parable 1, verses 28 through 30. Says, oh, I'm sorry, you can jump up a little bit. Luke 14. There we go, thank you. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and was not able to finish it. The the question Jesus is is asking to these guys is, can you afford to follow me? And this is important. He is blowing away the whole idea of easy believism. I mean, it is out the window here. No, you can imagine. He's talking to the crowds. It would have been easy to say, just follow me and everything will be fun and fulfillment and you're, you're significant if you follow me. And they're going to get a cross. And, uh, you know, he was not, this was not Jesus trying to bait and switch and just, he just wanted the crowds to follow him. He made it kind of hard, actually. And uh, 
he had mentioned a couple of parables previously where the, the I think we had it on screen just a second ago. The kingdom of heaven is, is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it, he hid it again. Then he, in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought the field. This, 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 this treasure, the kingdom of God, this, this being a part of follower of Jesus is so important. It's more important than anything. It's costing you everything. Next parable, he just was reiterating this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found the one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. It's going to cost Everything. Salvation is cheap on one level, and on the other level, it's incredibly uh, costly. Uh, it's free, but it's only free to those whose hands are, are open. They're not hanging on to something else. That's what Jesus is saying. When he talks about the uh, uh, tower builder, the guy that didn't calculate his cost, the question is, can you afford to, to follow me? Have you, have, you, have you thought about that? If Jesus came to you and said this text and said, what do you think? Will you be my disciple? What would you, what would you say? He says, don't enter into this willy-nilly. Don't just do this because everyone else is doing this. Don't just do this because you, you think sunshine and rain. It, don't, don't. I want you to take calculation and decide. Can you afford to follow me? Then the next parable is so cool. It's, it's genius of Jesus. He answers and asks another question with this next parable, which is, can you afford to not follow me? And he says, so suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't the first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. He says, there's a, there's a, there's a king, he's not thinking, he's just whatever, he didn't, take any, didn't put his calculations together, and he picked a fight with somebody, wrong person to pick a fight with. And so this, this guy that he picked a fight with is coming at him, and he's got a huge, and he starts now looking at his stuff going, oh man, I made a huge mistake. I didn't figure out what was going on, and I thought I was on the winning side, but I put myself uh, into a, without thinking this through, I put myself into a losing situation. And Jesus is saying to these people that he just said, it's going to cost you, you're going to hate, and you've got to take up your cross, and you've got to deny all your stuff. He's probably thinking that they're saying, well, okay, I'm out of here, you said enough, Jesus, thank you, I'm done. So now he comes to them and says, you can't not be it in a willy-nilly fashion either. If you, if you choose against... Keep in mind, sure defeat is coming your way. If you choose against, yeah, you might have it a little bit more comfortable immediately before the king gets there, but then it will be sure defeat. You can't afford to not to. And he takes the people, the masses, and he puts them in this ethical, forces them to choose. And he won't allow them to choose without all the information. It's going to cost you. It's going to, there's, a, there's a cost. You have to have an attitude and a spirit that says, I don't know what may come my way. I don't know what he's going to ask of me. But I'm not going to have this. I'm going to believe until. Or I'm going to believe as long as. I'm, going, I'm in for, the, for, for it. This is it. I'm there. And you can't say, without thinking it through, I'm just going to blow it all off. It doesn't matter to me. You haven't considered the cost there. So Jesus then ends up this whole section. Really unique way. Next text. It says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have can't be my disciples. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. He says, basically with this, 
is you have to taste like a, a, a disciple. It has to be full. You have to be full. It has to be through you. When I was a, a kid, a youth group, you know, the great stupid youth group games, one um, youth group night, it was near Halloween, it was a taffy apple relay, right? So you'd run down the table and you grab up a taffy apple, and, and then when the leader thinks you're close to being done, you go tag the next person. Well, Doug... My friend Doug and I were in posing teams. We ran down. I grabbed a pineapple. He grabbed up one. And he started to bite it, bite into it. It was an onion, right? It was a taffy-covered onion. It looked just like a taffy apple. So the, the leaders are all looking at him going, oh, let's see what he does. Well, knowing Doug, he just, he had to know Doug. He just looked around and then he just kept going. So tears are running down his face before he finally had to spew this stuff all over the place. This is kind of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, a lot of of y'all following me, you look like disciples. You've got the same look like the rest of them. But inside, you don't have the attitude, the spirit, the subjective uh, heart of a disciple. It's not there. And if it's not there, then there'll be a day when you'll be spewed out. That thrown out is a term that's used multiple times of the last judgment. It's not a a good thing. It's, It's not a good deal. Uh, well, I, rem- well, I was a youth pastor too terribly long. Uh, a couple of guys were coming to the group. Uh, their, their parents went to a, a different church and were very, very, very strong in that church. But somehow they, got, they let them come to youth group. And uh, uh, one of them went off to college and came back a, a believer. And it was, just, it was a really neat thing. Kept coming to youth group. Both of them come to know Christ. And we were going to have a, a baptism deal that... Sunday afternoon. Now, again, they weren't able to come to our, our church, just to youth group, but they, they came to the baptism classes. I thought that was kind of strange. I taught those, and I thought, this, you know, so we, we, we asked, you know, your parents, and they're like, oh, that's not going to happen. But they came to the classes. Anyway, day of the baptism, they show up. And I asked them, I said, guys, you know, everyone else, their parents are coming, and their grandparents are coming, and they got their cameras, and they're all ready. It's going to be a big thing. And so these two guys show up. I said, well, well your parents going to come? They said, oh, oh, no, no, no. If my parents knew we were here. They would pretty much kill us. And they would probably kill you too. And I started thinking through the text, and I thought, this is what it's all about. And they said, but we, it's, he's, more, he's, 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 he's our number one love. Uh, today, uh, Paul, is, uh, who's the older brother, just retired from the Navy. Godly, neat guy, neat family, very active in his church. Uh, his kid brother, Jeff, is uh, leading the Navigators uh, Campus Ministry, University of Wisconsin-Madison. Neat, neat, neat guys. And it just reminds me what Jesus says. And by the way, they have a great relationship with their parents today. They love them to death. Everything is, is fine. I don't think they've come to, parents have come to know Christ yet, but they're, they're, they're good with it. Um, today, maybe here, you would say, you know what? As we've talked, you'd say, Jesus really isn't my Rachel. You know, more like my Leah. But maybe you would say, but I want to hear what Christ says. I want to respond, and I want him to be my, my Rachel. I want, I want him to know that I am, I'm all in, and I don't know what's going to happen. I'm probably going to trip and fall, no, no question about it, but, but he is my number one love. Listen, this is, this is where, you, where you go next. Open your bulletin. You send that, that little card, get connected type card. Or uh, In just a moment, we're going to take an offering. You take that card and put it in the offering. Everyone's supposed to do that. But what you can do is on the bottom, check baptism. And, and we're going to do a baptism in just, in just a couple of weeks. And somebody will contact you about that. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I, I, I do. He is my, my Rachel. Been for a long time. 
but I just have never gone public and told everybody. And so I, I need to go forward and let people know, you know what, he's not uh, my, my Leah, he's my Rachel, and I, I am, I am uh, for him only because he is so much for me. If you've never been baptized, this is your time as well. In your card, check baptism, put it in, and we'll get back in touch with you. Would you take a moment and pray with me?